We're in a series we're calling uh, Echoes of Jesus. We've been doing, I don't know, for five, six weeks, something like that now. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been digging into the Old Testament and really kind of getting beneath the kind of the surface of each of these stories. And and what we've been discovering along the way is that when we do so, um, Jesus seems to emerge. We hear echoes of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament if we only had the eyes and ears to see and hear it. So that's what we're trying to do in this series. And uh, this morning is no different. Um, This morning, the scripture reading is 1 Samuel uh, 8. Uh, verses 1 through 21. It's the story of the Israelites demanding a king um, and all the trouble and stuff that goes on after they do such a thing. So if you do not have a Bible, you forgot when you'd like to have a physical Bible on the tables right kind of at the end of the room here, you can go grab one right now if you'd like to. Um, I'm going to invite up Carol Suter. She's going to be our scripture scripture reader this morning. And what we do here is, if you're able to, we stand and we face the center of the room as God's word is read. And we do so because this is the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus. It's a true story. So, Carol, whenever you're ready, take it away. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served in Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said... Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. 
And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. Thank you, Carol. You may be seated. Now, if you are a student of the Old Testament, one of the things you will run across fairly quickly is that the Israelites love to complain. They love complaining. In fact, there's a word for it in Hebrew, kvetching. Like, it's literally a word that people use to—it's kind of a a jokey word, but it's a word that refers to all this complaining that goes on in the Old Testament. From page 1 to the last one in the Old Testament, there's complaining all the way through by the people of God. Um, In fact, in Exodus 14, the people complain about Egypt's armies chasing them. So they complain, which is— I would complain about that too. Like, help me. There's an army after me. That's a good one. Um, In Exodus 15, the people complain about being thirsty. In Exodus 16, they complain about being hungry. In Exodus 32, they complain about Moses being gone on Mount Sinai for too long. In Numbers 11, they complain about a fire. Later in Numbers 11, they complain about food again. In Numbers 12, they complain about who Moses married. In Numbers 14, they complain about a fight with another another tribe, and I could keep going on and on and on and on. The Israelites loved to complain. And sometimes when I read the Old Testament and I come across all this complaining, uh, it reminds me of my kids in so many ways. And your kids, just saying that. Um, it really does, though, and it also reminds me of this meme. There's this meme that came, came out, um, I don't know, three, four years ago, and it was parents taking pictures of their kids crying and then posting a caption onto what it was that the kid's crying about, and it's hilarious, at least as a dad it is. And I wanted to share some of those amazing pictures with you. Um, check out these memes. Here's the first one. His brother took one chip from his bowl, and we wept. Jesus wept right there. Um, She's not allowed to drink toilet bowl cleaner. And right there, that hits us, you know? Like, go to the next one. It wasn't his birthday. Oh, ouch. That one hurts. And next one. The slide was too slow. We've had those days. We've had those days. Because I told him to say hi instead of meow. I'm sure you have stories like that, too. Um, I, I, I bring this up. Because our scripture reading this morning is another story of the Israelites complaining yet again. And this time, they are complaining about not having a king. And they literally say that they want a king, like a child would, because everyone else has a king, so why can't we have a king? It's like the kid that says, Dad, I need a new Xbox. And you're like, well, why do you need a new Xbox? Well, all the other kids have an Xbox. Like That's kind of what the Israelites remind me of. Now, our scripture reading this morning is set after the Hebrews escape Egypt. In fact, it's set after the Hebrew people conquer the land that God promised them. And after these judges that arose and kind of acted as these 
um, uh, temporary rulers along the way. And then we get to this person named Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. And Samuel is getting up in his age. He's getting older. And he realizes that getting up in age, getting older, there's a point when you kind of have to pass the leadership on where it's just not working for him in his age anymore. And he comes up with this brilliant idea. At least I think he thought it was a brilliant idea. What if I just take my sons and they get to be the next kind of rulers of Israel? And we all said, that's a bad idea. You don't do that. And it was a bad idea. And they were corrupt from the beginning and the Israelites began to complain about their corruption. And it brought them up to Samuel at one point and they said, look, Samuel, we want a king over us. Just give us a king. Now, there's something about kings in the ancient world that I need us to notice here a moment. The, the first is that kings in the ancient world had religious responsibility in ways that really we don't see today out of governments. A king in the ancient world was literally the representative of the divine for his people. He was the guy that got to speak God's words to his people. That's what the king did. And so when a king of the ancient world would speak, it would be assumed that the king wasn't just speaking his own words, but in fact he was speaking the words and commands of their local gods. Like that's what the ancient world believed. And so when the king would get up and the king would speak, the common folk, the tribal folk, they would listen in that moment because they knew that they were listening to their God. In fact, often in the ancient world, and there is so much history to support this, often in the ancient world, kings would begin to blur the lines between their kingly role and the gods themselves, and suddenly you saw kings coming out and saying, I just am a god myself, or I am part of the god's family. I am a son of God. I am whatever it may be. Now, kings of the ancient world, so they had this religious responsibility. They also were, uh, they had this military responsibility as well. They were the commanders of their tribal military. They were the general, like the four-star guy, the guy at the top. They held all of the military might in their hands, meaning that if you were a king in the ancient world, you were solely responsible to keep the kingdom or tribe safe. Now, you see, in the ancient world, um, what would happen if you were a commoner in one of these tribes or one of these kingdoms, you relied on your king for basically everything. You relied on your king to provide you with two specific things, safety and prosperity. Safety and prosperity. Safety because the king could use his military might to protect the kingdom or expand the kingdom or whatever it may be. And then prosperity, because it was widely believed in the ancient world that prosperity was directly tied to the gods. That's what they thought. And so when it wouldn't rain for a long, long season, the people just assumed that the gods were angry. Or when it did rain and it was a beautiful harvest, the gods must have been happy and they blessed us with that. If we were barren and we couldn't have children, the gods must have been angry. But if I have lots and lots and lots of kids, the gods must be happy with me. And so the gods were really the place where prosperity happened, and the closest you could get to the gods were through your king. 
And you see, when the Israelites came to Samuel and they began asking for a king, they were asking for a reason. They were looking for security and prosperity. They wanted to ensure that they were safe from invading armies and tribes and kingdoms and empires. And they wanted to make sure that they prospered. They wanted their fields to get rain and they wanted plentiful harvests and they wanted families with lots and lots of kids and heirs and all that stuff. And as the Israelites looked around the neighborhood, in their neighborhood, they noticed that perhaps it was a king that could get them those Things. And so in our scripture reading, the people come to Samuel and they say, Hey, Samuel, we want a king. Hook us up with a king. It's kind of on you. Make it happen. And Samuel is disturbed by this. And so what Samuel does is says, I'm going to go to God. We're going to talk about this and figure out what to do. Because Samuel thought it was a bad idea. And so Samuel goes to God and says, Hey, what do I do? They want a king. You know that that's not what you want for your people. And then God says, You know what? Just give them a king. Just give it to them. But make sure they know the consequences to this. We actually read about the consequences. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, verses 10 through 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn there a moment with me. Listen to this in verse. And here's the consequences to Israel having a king. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. See, Samuel tells the people, you want a king? There's a cost to having a king. And the cost is steep to have a king. The cost is, it means sending your kids off to war to die at the king's request. It means that the king will take your daughters and then bring them up into the kingdom and make them bakers and stuff, all for him. It means that it will take the best of everything that you produce and you will have to give that to the king. And the cost will be basically everything good that you have, the king gets the top shelf of all of it. And then in verse 15, there's this really interesting line. Listen to this out of verse 15. It says, he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials. Then in verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And Israelites would have known this language, this tenth language. A tenth matters for the Israelites because a tenth is religious language for them. It's religious language. 
God is telling the Israelites, you will give a tenth of everything you have and your king will basically do what every other king in the ancient world does. This king will do what Pharaoh did in Egypt. This king will do what Caesar will do in Rome. This king will make himself your God. Are you ready for that, Israel? And you will serve this king like you serve a God. You will be a slave in your own land, Israel. Is this what you want? Are you sure you want this, Israel? And their answer was, yes, of course we want that. Yes. They were willing to, to risk going back into slavery in order to have a king. We actually get to hear their answer in verses 19 and 20. It says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Now, if you're reading this and you're really into the story, some questions are going to start popping up for you. Perhaps the biggest question is, why? Why in the world would Israel choose to go down that path? It makes no sense. God's warnings are too great, and yet they still say yes. And the key to understanding their yes is this, that security and prosperity are powerful words to humans, aren't they? Those are powerful words. Self-preservation is an incredibly powerful motivator to humans, isn't it? Because we look out at the world ourselves and we see all the ways that we can get hurt ourselves in the world. We look out and if we are honest about our lives and who we are, the strength we have and all that, we realize just how incredibly vulnerable each of us is in the world. I mean, we are one diagnosis away from death. All of us in this room are. One diagnosis, that's all it takes. We, we are one car accident away from death. Just one. We, we are just one war away from death. It just had to be the right war and then that's it. It's over. We are one global famine away from death at all times. This is how the world works. And if we're honest about this, we feel that vulnerability in moments like these. And it's a powerful feeling for us to feel vulnerable. And we do an awful lot as humans to stop feeling vulnerable, don't we? We have all kinds of mechanisms to stop that feeling. And we know that there is something inherently wrong with this kind of vulnerability in our lives. We know that war and starvation and death and all those things are actually not good things, right? We know that. It's not good. Those are bad things. It's not the way the world's supposed to be. We know there's something morally off about the, just the unbelievable vulnerability that we live in day in and day out. The world is supposed to be fruitful and safe and secure and prosperous, right? Like that's what the world's supposed to be like. And we crave the world to look like that, but it's not. 
And so if you think about this story, see, the, the Israelites were certainly grappling with the same thing we are right now. And the Israelites figured something out. They knew that security and prosperity were things they couldn't gain on their own. They knew that. And they realized in that moment that they needed a king right then and there. And I think if we're honest at this point in the story, this is the part of the story that makes us feel perhaps a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because we are Americans, and Americans don't like kings, I think, right? We're not big kings fans. We don't like kings. Um, we don't like the idea of needing a king for security and prosperity in our lives. We feel like that's against everything that it means to be an American today. We value independence and control of our own destiny and hard work and all that kind of stuff. That's where security and prosperity comes from, right? Like that's what we believe as people. We have this day called Independence Day, the 4th of July, right? Where we shoot off these colorful bombs in the air and then they blow up. And then we say, we're sticking it to you. England, the king, ha, right? Like that's what we do. And we love that about ourselves. But what if, what if, what if like Israel, we actually need a king too? Like what if that's true for us? And if it is true, well, what kind of king would we need? in our lives. You see, the way we answer that question is crucial. It is crucial for our lives. And see, the way that the Israelites answered that question is they, that's really like the beginning of their problems in their story. They decided they needed the wrong kind of king, right? First Samuel 8, 5, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You see, the Israelites are looking around in the neighborhood and they see Egypt and Egypt has this Pharaoh and they seem pretty successful with that setup right? And then they look around all the local tribes and all that fun stuff and they see all the kings that are littered there as well and they think, well, that seems to be working out for them is too. It seems like all these nations are strong and autonomous and everything that we want to be and they all command their military as well and they all have sway with their local gods and man, we want that too, says Israel. See, they needed a king and what Samuel saw in the story was that they were choosing the wrong one. I wonder if that's true for our lives, too. Well, we need a king. And so we go out searching for a king, and we choose the wrong one. Day in and day out. You know, for many of us, we have different kings all over our lives, right? Like for one of us, for, for one, it could be our career is our king, right? Couldn't that be our king? And so we find ourselves 
working at this career, looking for the security and prosperity that comes from that, right? And we lean into that hard, and we find ourselves working just endless hours, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, working, working, working to ensure that our workplace is happy with us, to ensure that we continue to get our security and prosperity out of our workplace, and we will sacrifice things for our workplace, right? To maintain that security and prosperity, We'll sacrifice our families and our friends. Some of us, we might even sacrifice our faith in moments like that just to maintain our workplace. And we fear that if we didn't give our whole lives to our jobs or our workplace, maybe our workplace would be angry. And if we lost our jobs, right, we would lose everything. No more prosperity, no more security in our lives. And so we work harder. You know, for some of us, it's actually more specific than that, I think. For some of us, it's money. Money is king for many of us, right? We rely so heavily on money in our lives to take care of us, right? To keep us secure and prosperous. For many, many of us, the, the definition of prosperity is, is lots of money. Like, that's what prosperity is for most of us. I mean, this isn't like new, right? Like Jesus talked about this in the New Testament all the time. Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we've heard this sermon before again and again and again. Yet when it comes down to it, and it's money or anything else in our lives, some of us, we will choose money nearly every single time. We will make a decision against our families, our cities, our neighbors, our friends, our faith, all to maintain that grip on money. Because money in a America is king, isn't it? So we'll move to a new city for a bigger paycheck and give up the rest of our lives to do so. Or we will work long hours at the cost of our family. Or we will get the heebie-jeebies, right? When we hear words like giving or generosity, then we're kind of like, eh, I don't think so. Because the idea of giving up some of our money, well, that hits right at the core of us because money, that's where the security and prosperity come from. Because at the end of the day, many of us in America serve it, I think. And for the others of us, there's a whole lot of kings in our lives that we could think of. For some of us, it's our role as mom. For others, it's our role as dad. For others, it's the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, right? Like we got to stay on the top of the pile or bad things are going to happen to us. Or you can add to the list yourself. Maybe it's something else for you. And perhaps some of us are thinking, I don't have a king in my life. I'm good. I have no king. None of that. I'm set. But just take a moment and think about this question. When you look at your pursuits of security and prosperity, where do you turn to uh, find those things the most. Because when you turn there and you figure out what that thing is, you found your king. <laughs> that's what it is. And that's the fact. We all have a king in our lives. And the problem with all these kings in our lives that we serve is that we give our loyalty to them and then these kings start demanding loyalty back from us, in essence returning us to slavery like the Hebrew people. 
And for many of us, it's actually the problem in our lives right now. Some of you right now are struggling with this, where you are feel enslaved to your workplace, right? You feel stuck and you can't move. It's because our workplace has become our king, perhaps our God. For some of us, it's money. We feel stuck by money, right? We can't even spend money because that raises up our anxieties because money is king. Or it's consumerism or whatever else it may be for us. And then one day, one day, our kings let us down. And they always do. This is exactly what happens to the Israelites. If you keep following the story after our scripture reading, the Israelites get a king. It's King Saul. And King Saul is a bad king, a bad dude, not a good king. And so they get rid of King Saul, right? And then they get King David. And King David is like the poster child for good kings, right? He's the good one. But man, he's a mixed bag if you start looking closely. He makes a lot of mistakes. He actually doesn't end well either in his story. And then you get to kings after him. King after king after king after king. And they all, almost all, fail and fail and fail and fail. In fact, there's a moment where two kings seem to arise at the same time, right? And it splits Israel in half into two separate countries. And then uh, uh, invaders from the outside, Babylonians and Assyrians come in, and then they attack, and then Israel and Judah are no more. And the Israelites find themselves kind of in Egypt again, in slavery. It's because they chose the wrong king. The wrong king. Wouldn't it be nice if in our lives there was a right king, right? Wouldn't that be nice? If there was a right king? You see, it's right here in this moment, where if you're looking close enough and you're listening well, that we begin to hear an echo of Jesus right here. Because folks, this is obvious, right? But Jesus is the true king that we crave. Jesus is. Jesus is the king that will give us security and prosperity without enslaving us, right? Like that's what Jesus is. He is the king that we've been looking for our whole lives. And we have this strategy. We're going to go and we're going to find a king, whether it's money or something else, whatever it may be. And that king tends to turn itself into a god. And then that god tends to turn us into slaves, right? Like that seems to be the trajectory for most of us. And Jesus flips the whole thing on its head and says, no, 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 no. I'm God. I've come to be your king. I've come to free you from all this. You will be a freed people with me as your king. And so he sacrifices himself and and he goes to a cross that maybe looks something like this. And there's this moment in the gospels, right, where Jesus is hanging on the cross. You see this in Matthew 27. And it says, above Jesus' head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they had no idea that it was true that he was. He wasn't just king of the Jews. He was king of the whole world. It's it's why we call him Christ. In Greek, it's the word Christos, right? And Christos means king. Jesus Christ is King Jesus. Like, that's what it means in English. Jesus is the king we've been looking for. 
Is it possible that Jesus is the king that you are craving this morning too? Is that possible? What, what would it look like for you this week or maybe during lunch or something like that to just think aloud, maybe with your spouse or something, what would it look like to rely wholly on Jesus, on King Jesus, for your security and prosperity and not those other things? What would that look like for you? How might that change your life? We don't know. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just how complex your word is that we can just keep scratching beneath the surface, God, and you will bring out some incredible truth. God, we thank you that Jesus isn't just found in the Gospels, but through the whole Bible, the whole thing is about him. We thank you for that, God. God, we recognize and we confess that in our lives, we have kings all over the place that we serve, God, and you desire for us to serve you alone, God. So help us to see those kings and to root those kings out, God. And help us to learn to rely on Jesus, your son, the King Jesus, um, in ways that perhaps we haven't before. Um, we love you all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing from uh, the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom we be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen.